0: Welcome back. It's good to see everyone in our our study of uh, 1 Timothy. And uh, I'm a little uh, out of sorts this morning, a little bit under the weather. Um, One day it is uh, um, 60 degrees, and the next day it's 20 degrees. So jumping back and forth, and it's made quite a few people uh, sick, I think. We're going to start today in uh, 1 Timothy, and we're going to go to chapter 4, and we're going to read beginning in verse 12. We're going to be dealing, um, as we did last week, with the minister's character. And this is so extremely important. Uh, There's no way I can overemphasize the importance of character, not only in normal times. Um, But I believe that we're probably entering in as Christians into extraordinary times. And therefore, character is going to be even more important than in the past. So let's read verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your Word, and I pray, dear God, that you would use your Word today, by your Spirit, to do a good thing in us, to change us, to teach us, to exhort us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness. Dear God, we have such a need of you. If you were to pull back from this universe for even a moment, all would come undone. If you were to pull back from us, Lord, we would come undone. As ministers of Christ, please help us. We want to do your will, but we find so often that we lack the wisdom and the power and the character. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in verse 12, and uh, since most of you are young men, uh, this is really applicable to your lives. He says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Now, we went over this last week, but I want to review it a bit. Uh, we live in an age where two things everyone is striving for self-esteem. That's number one. And number two, everyone is demanding respect. Well, what we need to see is that both of those things, they're earned. They're, birth, they're earned both privately or individually, um, but they're also earned publicly. Now, what do I mean by that? You see a lot of talk or you hear a lot of talk today about you know young people need self-esteem. So they think they can grant them self-esteem by giving them a trophy, even if they didn't practice or they didn't win, um, by constantly complimenting them. This is just going to create frustration and anger. That's not the way you give self-esteem to a person. A person um, gains self-esteem. In what way? By actually accomplishing things. By actually working very hard, and checking off a to-do list by having accomplishments in their life, by having failures in their life, and then overcoming those failures. That's how a person privately has self-esteem. Now, people also are demanding publicly respect. I just want the respect that is due me. Well, people don't realize when they say that they're condemning themselves because here's the question. Well, actually, what respect have you earned? Why should someone respect you? Now, there is a sense in which we should respect all men because they were created in the image of God. Um, In spite of the fall, in spite of maybe even falling into grotesque sin, because a person is created in the image of God, we should respect them. But by and large, respect is something that is earned. And Paul emphasizes here, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Now, he's not telling Timothy to walk around and demand that no one look down on him. That's kind of the language, contemporary language, the language of today. What he's saying is, Timothy, even though you're young, earn their respect. Uh, Let me give you an example. So years and years ago, I mean, many, many years ago, probably 20 years ago, um, we had uh, started working a bit in Romania and we were just testing the waters. You know, is it um, God's will that we work here? Will there there be the proper accountability? And um, after about a year or so of working there, Um, we didn't have the qualified man to supervise the work. And so I went to the president of the Baptist Union, a a godly, godly man, um, Brother Talos. And I said, Brother Talos, I don't think we're going to be able to continue working because we don't have the accountability. We don't have the leader that we need. And uh, he said, oh, Paul, there's such need in Romania. Please, please continue working. We'll figure something out. And then he said, I have a man who I think can do the job. And um, in Romanian culture, at least back then, um, you, you wouldn't find older men following or giving great respect to younger men. That simply wasn't the way things were done, as in many cultures around the world. And so when he told me he had a man, I expected a gray-haired man with a great deal of experience. And um, so I said, okay. And he said, just stay in my office and I'll call him in. And so he called in this young man who was about, um, I don't know, 19 years old. And I, I thought to myself, is, is this a joke? You know, it was Sorim Prodan. Some of you may know him. And uh, I talked to him. He seemed like a rather godly, unusually godly young man. But when he left, I said, Brother Talush, he's 19. Uh, We're working with men in different parts of the country who are experienced pastors. I, I, I do not think this will work. And Brother Talush said, trust me. And Brother Talush was a very, very godly man, a very wise man. He's gone home to be with the Lord. He remained faithful through the persecution of communism. And he said, trust me, this young man can do it. And over the next two or three years, that young man earned my respect. He earned it by his character, you see, by his hard work by his virtue, by his love for scripture, he earned it. And what was quite amazing is that he earned a place at the table with even ministers who were uh, three times his age. And, And that's what's going on here. He's saying, earn it. Earn it. In what way? Not just by your knowledge, but by your conduct, by your conduct, and, and let me say this, uh, knowledge is good, knowledge is necessary, knowledge is foundational, if you're going to have Christian conduct, but, but there are two kinds of knowledge, and both of them have their place, but if you put one before the other, you're in trouble. Well, we could even say three types of knowledge. Um, the first is biblical knowledge. The second is the knowledge of godly things, maybe even knowledge of scripture through other books. And thirdly, it's knowledge with regard to a relationship, experiencing. Now, when I say experiencing, I'm not saying necessarily visions or dreams or miracles. I'm just talking about relationally, you've walked with the Lord, you know him. And I'm afraid um, that The young men today are not any worse than my generation, but they have greater opportunity to be worse. Uh, We didn't have the Internet, and we didn't have a lot of the wonderful books that are being published. It was very difficult back in my day to find a a Puritan work or a Reformed work. I praise God for Banner of Truth and, and Reformation Heritage books and all these different groups, Um, but we had a Bible. And I, I want you to read good books. I want you to do that, but never at the expense of reading the book, of reading the scriptures. You know, John Owen said many good things about John Bunyan. Bunyan was a tinker. He fixed pots and pans, but... They said if you cut him, he would bleed the scriptures. And so here, he's, he's talking about character, but character must be built on knowledge of God and the knowledge of God's will. And although good books can help you, what you really need more than anything is to live your life in the scriptures. I would plead with you as young men, set aside time every day for just the reading of the scriptures, not just your sermon preparation, but reading the scriptures, reading the whole of it from Genesis to Revelation so that when you preach out of Romans or Zechariah, you have a large context to draw from in order to understand that text. I would plead with you to do that. So now he he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Now, we went through speech last time, and so I don't want to do that again, but I, I do want you to realize the importance of speech. A person can't look into your heart, and they can't look into your mind, and they won't follow you around 24 hours a day to see your action. And much of what a person thinks about you uh, will come through your speech. Sometimes I wonder if I were to do a thematic study and I had to make a choice between speech and heart, which one would I do? Well, it seems obvious that I would want to study the heart. But Jesus also said that out of the heart comes the speech, and the speech is an indicator of what's in the heart. I think it would do you well to look up every text in the Bible that talks about speech and then ask yourself, does your speech conform to that? You know, brothers, I, uh, let me tell you something. If I could go back, see, I, I can say that because I'm older. Uh, If I could go back, I would do things differently. I I would do things in a much more um, simple fashion. Um, I know that, you know, you need to and and you do study the great doctrines of the faith. And and, oh, yes, you, you do that even more. But here's what I would say to you. Have you ever gone from Genesis to Revelation and looked up every text on what your eyes should look at and what they should not look at? Consolidated that into a teaching and allow it to govern what you look at? Have you ever done something like look up every reference to the heart of what should be in your heart and not be in your heart? How should your heart be? Have you ever looked at every reference to speech do you see? Sometimes we complicate things so much, don't we? We can talk in platitudes of such great, great things, when in reality, maybe if we would come down another a few notches, and do some of these simple things, we would be a lot more godly, a lot more godly. I've failed in that area. You, you could, you could say, do the same thing with family or marriage or. Or finance or anything. It's it's simply ordering your entire life based on the simple commands of scripture that even a child could understand. So he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech. And then he mentions conduct. And so I want us to look at that for just a moment. Conduct literally refers to a way of life, a style of life. You know, I've said this so many times, you know, when the Bible talks about fruit or talks about assurance or talks about sanctification, um, you need to be very careful that you do not judge a person by one snapshot moment in their life. You know, for example, uh, David Romare, uh, who's with us today, he's, let's say he's having a bad day and he walks outside and he kicks a cat with a very angry look on his face. Um, And you take a snapshot picture of that. Yeah, that's sin. It's a demonstration of anger. But it it doesn't reflect his style of life. It doesn't mean that he's an angry person. Do, Do you see what I mean? And so none of us is going to stand the test if you just take one picture of our life But what the Bible is talking about is conduct, a style of life. How do we live throughout our many days? And elders should also be judged that way. Elders will fail at times. They they will sin. They, They will have things that need to be corrected. But the thing that you need to ask yourself is this person's style of life uh, was there a moment when they were very angry going through something that was a, a terrible ordeal? Yes, that doesn't mean they're an angry person. You see, and so what we're talking about here is our way of life. And I want us to look at some passages in Scripture that will help us um, really get this down into our heart. So go with me for just a moment to Hebrews 13, 7. He says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. I think this is very important. Remember what Paul said, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you say that? Would you dare say that? To some degree, we should be able to say that. But not only imitate me uh, when I'm doing right, but imitate me when I recognize that I've done something wrong and I've repented. Learn also the need for repentance because there is only one perfect person, and that was Jesus Christ. But he says, Remember those who led you. Do you realize that people are going to remember you? They are. I remember my first pastor. And I remember many of the virtues of his life and the demonstrations of the Spirit's power and his knowledge of the word. Um, I remember my second pastor, Brother Jack Russell in Metropolis, Illinois, a little church in the middle of a cornfield. I remember him and there were noble things to imitate. They're gonna remember you. The question is, how are they going to remember you? And he says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. So now here's here's what I want you to see. They led, but how did they lead? By speaking the word of God. A lot of young elders today somehow think that their office gives them the right to just actually not only be dictators over the church, but also dictators over families and people's lives, to be the source of wisdom. And, And that's just not true. You don't lead by coercion, manipulation, or by giving people your wisdom. You lead by speaking the word of God, by correctly interpreting, expounding the scriptures. Now, he says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and consider the result of their conduct, which means at first you have to consider their conduct. And then what was the result of it? You you consider the conduct of a very angry man who's angry all the time, and you see the results of it. Eventually, he's isolated and alone. Do you see? So people need to be able to look at your life, and they need to consider your conduct, but they also need to be able to stand back and see what were the results of his conduct. When everyone was attacking him instead of attacking, he remained silent. When everyone was anxious and falling apart, he remained steadfast. So they're going to remember your conduct or they're going to remember he was always studying the word, memorizing the word, meditating upon the word. And that changed his conduct. The results of it is we actually saw our pastor grow and then imitate their faith. And uh, we're going to talk about this later, but um, I have found um, too many preachers and pastors who um, it's, it's almost hard or impossible for them to walk by faith. Oh, they're converted. They believe in Christ. They trust in him. But to step out in faith and attempt things for God, they're very, very timid. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing at all. Now, let's look at James 3.13. He says, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So he says, who's really wise? Who really has understanding? It's not the person who's read, you know, 70 books in a week. It's not the person who can quote uh, the confessions or has memorized the entire catechism, although those things are wonderful. How do you know if someone is truly wise? Let him show by his good behavior, by his conduct, by his style of life. If they see that you preach magnificently in the pulpit, but your finances are a wreck, your family is a wreck, your personal sanctification is doubtful, then why should they listen? And notice here he says in the gentleness of wisdom. Now, by and large, we ought to be gentle people, but let's not become effeminate in our our, um, interpretation of this passage. Um, Jesus was the most gentle man of all, and he uh, he made a whip and he drove people out of the temple. And so, yes, great wisdom is required and overall we ought to have show the gentleness of wisdom, but at times you're going to have to stand steadfast and at times you're going to have to be angry and sin not. This is extremely important and I think we've lost this today Yes, it's true. You can become an angry person and you don't want that, but you can also be this passive gentle person that people esteem, but actually what you are is a coward. We don't want to fall off to the left or the right. We want to walk in the truth and in order to do that, we need the scriptures. So then he says in 1 Peter 1:15, "But like the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves also, in all your behavior. Now, this, this, this one word here, all, is very important. Why? Because we all see it, don't we? It's like we're burned on one side, we're like a pancake. <laughs> we're burned on one side and we're raw on the other. We may be flaming hot on one side, a great evangelist, but you're arrogant, a great preacher, but you're selfish. So what we need to see is that we need to be well-rounded and we need to work on every area of our life. And again, it is helpful to go in and list out what are the areas of your life, and what, how does Scripture speak with regard to those areas? So He says, "But like the Holy One who called you, how is how is God? God is um, He has a, a, a multitude of attributes, wrath." Love. Mercy. Righteousness. And the amazing thing is that all of them are in perfect balance. And that's the goal for us to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Right? Now you say, well, we'll never attain to that. That's not the point. The point is to keep going forward and keep going forward. Now, let's go on. In First Peter 2.12 Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, I think that this passage is becoming more and more important as the darkness seems to grow in the sense of um, the hostility toward Christianity I mean the hostility is 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 growing seemingly exponentially you can be anything and be accepted except a christian you can do anything say anything the greatest vulgarities and people will applaud you but if you claim the name of christ and you make a stand for righteousness even in things that would seem common sense to everyone. You'll be maligned, jeered, lampooned. So if, if some cross-dressing transvestite dressed like a demon goes in and wants to read a book in a children's library, everyone applauds. And if someone wants to read Pilgrim's Progress in the same library, Well, they're not allowed. And so we are entering into a time of great hostility. And what does he say? How do you you fight back on that? He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers. Keep it excellent so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, How were they evildoers? Because they were Christians. Because they stood against the vulgarities of their culture. And they were slandered. They were slandered. They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And the idea is that they may slander you, but if they do carefully observe your deeds they will have to respect you. They will have to recognize that somehow God is among you. Like Jesus said, that they, they see your good works and glorify your Father. And, and, and gentlemen, look, uh, you're going to have to carry, like if the cross is one mile, you're going to have to carry it two. You're going to have to go beyond in this culture today. You have to be robust, not only in your faith, but robust in your holiness, because they're going to pick everything apart. They truly are. Now, in in first Peter 316 and keep a good conscience so that that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. First of all, keep a good conscience, but here's what I want you to see. Your conscience can become dull. It's like a frog that if you put it in boiling water, it'll jump out, but if you put it in room temperature water and gradually increase the heat, it will become accustomed to it in the same way. You and I, if we give in little by little by little by little to things that are contrary to the will of God, if we accept them, watch them, listen to them, eventually they'll no longer strike our conscience. Our conscience will become dull. That's one of the reasons for the need of preaching, to awaken the conscience of people. We need to be very, very, keep a good conscience. How do you do that? Not just by doing the will of God, but by guarding yourself, knowing that your conscience can go to sleep and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. They'll be put to shame. Let's, one more text before we close on this part. In 2 Peter 3, 11, And I know that we we touched on this in our last session, but I, I just felt it was so important to go through it again. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Godliness is Godwardness. It's this idea of looking unto God, being all about God, seeking to imitate God, which means that our conduct will be holy. You see, we're not just following here principles, men. And if you look at it that way, you're going to be in trouble. We're not just following principles. We're following a person. We're following a person who has been described to us in the scriptures I I always tell my children, just always, this is not about ethics, primarily, morality, primarily. It is about a person. And it's that person in whom we believe. And it's that person whom we follow. Now, I'm going to close now in prayer and then take about a five minute break. And then we will uh, go back and pick this up into being an example of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you will use it, Lord, in all our lives. This word that was spoken today to change us, to transform us, to make us more like Christ and to be able to stand against this dark and twisted generation. In Jesus' name, amen.